Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, February 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we begin our outfield preview. It's going to take two episodes to get through the entire outfield, so consider this part one of two. We've got some news to get to as we get started on this Wednesday. Colton Wong is a brewer, which is not the reason why I'm wearing this hat. Uh, it is a coincidence. It's also very weird to be a fan of a team that um, has a player join you after years of being in division and being someone you rooted against, but uh, it's a good upgrade for Wong. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Nelson Cruz staying in Minnesota. Chris Archer is a Tampa Bay Ray again, and Sean Doolittle has joined the Reds. So we'll get to those news items before we start breaking down the outfield. Eno, how's it going for you on this Wednesday? It's going good. I... Uh... I uh, I was just thinking the other day about this weird thing that happened December 2019. My father-in-law came back from China and was sick and lost his sense of taste and smell and had a bad lung sickness for a month and like fainted once. And we all got sick because we were in the house with him um, and we all just got the sniffles and hmm. that's weird. It's kind of a, also like a funny thing to like think of. You know, eight, nine months into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, oh, right. Hmm. <laughs> but the good news is they've had their first shots. My mom gets my her first shot on Monday. And my dad is just waiting for Northern California to drop the age requirement. Uh, they haven't quite done that yet. Southern California did it earlier. So hoping everybody in the next couple of weeks uh, in my family will get their shots. And I hope uh, the same is true for uh, the older people in your life. Yep, we're starting to get there. Slow progress, but progress nonetheless. And hopefully things start to speed up here as we get closer to the spring and summer months. Uh, But let's start with this news because there's a lot to get to today. Colton Wong, surprisingly a brewer. I say surprisingly because they've got a lot of infielders already in tow. And they don't really have anybody with a lot of third base experience. Colton Wong is a gold glove defender at second base. And some of the initial reaction is indicating that Keston Hira is going to move over to first base with Colton Wong in Milwaukee, which makes a lot of sense because they don't have an everyday first baseman on the roster right now. They tried to go the platoon route for a couple of years. Of course, Eric Thames was there for a little while. It was Justin Smoke last year. That didn't work out. And if you think about Keston Hira's defensive flaws, the first thing that comes to my mind is the issue he has throwing the ball consistently. So you move him from second base to first base, he's not going to throw the ball as much. That could be fine. He's not necessarily the the big, tall target you normally have at the position, but he certainly could hit enough to be your prototypical first baseman. So kind of like it because it makes the team better. It's just one of those moves that I did not expect whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, they seem to be aggressive in the idea that, like, we can go to spring, give everyone every glove, and then figure out while they're playing, you know? Uh, Because, you know, they do have six infielders now, and not one of them has a lot of experience playing third base. Um, I think that's a good thing to point out. But at the same time, they have Avisel Garcia uh, could play some first base. He's a slightly bigger target. He's a faster uh, than your typical first baseman, but it might work. Um, you know, Yelich could try first base. Uh, you know, uh, Hira could be over there. I think that they'll, you know, put the gloves on them and, and, and see where it fits. Uh, and also, 
probably watch some of the early, you know, exit velocity and contact rate stats on people like Luis Urias, Daniel Robertson, Billy McKinney, um, these kind of second tier guys uh, that if they sort of who's who's a is it Tyrod Taylor? Yeah, Tyrone Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. You know, that those guys watch them for early signs of how they're feeling healthy wise and how they're doing dealing with pitchers and then bump them up somewhere. So I think if you're looking in fantasy for like some sort of um, good outcome for this, I think it would be, uh, you know, sort of watching where Hira plays uh, in spring, um, where how much Vogelbach plays at all. Um, and if he plays with like the first group or the second group, that's like kind of a, a hint usually about how they feel about a player. Um, and then also how Taylor, um, Robertson, Urias, you know, where they're playing position wise, where they hit, if they hit with the first group or second group, um, if they're there in the seventh inning, it's a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, if they're there in the starting lineup, it actually matters a little bit, um, it's not necessarily their OPS you want to be tracking. It's these other things. Like a fastball velocity on a pitcher, you kind of want to see um, – you would love to see their exit velocity, but that that those numbers are only available in like two spring training parks. So, um, But you know the teams will be monitoring that. And I think the idea is just get a, get more players, keep uh, have no zeros, make it so there's no zeros on the team, um, and try to just generally bring up if it's depth or starting, bring up the, the quality – Arcia Wong up the middle is pretty decent. Kane coming back in center, probably a slight boost to to all their pitchers too defensively. Yeah, I think this does help the pitching staff a little bit, which is certainly nice. And you you think about Wong as a hitter leaving St. Louis, going into Milwaukee, it's a pretty big park upgrade, sort of the opposite of what we were talking about with Nolan Arenado getting traded to St. Louis. I think the stat cast numbers are generally just bad in terms of uh, max exit velocity and, and even average exit velocity, if you care about that. Barrel rates for Colton Wong are generally low. Uh, but we talked about this when we were discussing Alex Bregman and Jose Ramirez and some really good players uh, at the third base position. Sometimes the price of putting a ton of balls in play is that you're going to have a lower average exit velocity or a lower barrel rate. And look, Colton Wong's not going to hit a ton of home runs, but if you hit 15 or 18 home runs this year instead of the usual... 10 or 12, that wouldn't surprise me all that much. Uh, I think the impact on the pitchers, though, is maybe one of the hidden value things here with this move. So I'm curious to see how they put the pieces together. There's lots of ways they could make it fit. Yelich at first base, Keston Hira in left field. I haven't seen that yet, but maybe something like that is a possibility uh, as well once they put all the, the pieces together in Arizona here in the next few weeks. Nelson Cruz stays with the Twins, a one-year deal for him to return to Minnesota. Is he undervalued again? I think that's the, the first place my mind goes when I look at the price on him. He's actually been falling over the course of draft season in part because of not knowing where he was going to play. But now that we know he's back with the Twins, back in the heart of that order, does he belong as a guy in the back of the top 100 overall? I mean, the projections are going to say yes. You know, although uh, there's a healthy drop off in batting average, probably just because they're regressing his speed, his BABIP, that sort of deal. Um, and uh, the, the projections for a sort of 270 ish, 35 homer season um, are a little bit uh, below where he's been the last couple of years. Um, 
but still pretty great. You know, still very useful. I think back end top 100 um, and the, the 40 year old, uh, the age on that just makes me super nervous. The, uh, the history, frankly, the testing history makes me a little bit nervous that the, the, something can come back uh, and bite him at the end of his career. Um, so, you know, I see him as an obvious undervalued player that also makes me feel super risky. And I may not end up with a ton of them, even though I'm like, oh, God, Nelson Cruz is still at the top of my queue. He's still at the top of my queue. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I end up with him a lot. And we're at the point now where I'm not going to have as much FOMO if someone else gets him because of the age. I'm not yeah. seeing enough in the overall profile to be concerned about a, a massive drop-off in performance. I think it, it'll be a graceful decline if we have decline from Nelson Cruz. I mean, I think injury risk for a player, his age is just elevated anyway, even though since really moving into that full-time DH role, and even for a few of his final years in the outfield, Nelson Cruz sort of shed the injury-prone label that he had uh, in the early part of the last decade in Texas. I mean, we were always worried about like soft tissue injuries with Nelson Cruz. That's sort of gone away. Uh, so I've got him a little higher than his ADP. Just, I, I think the problem here is that the other UT-only players ranked around him are younger and just as interesting as hitters, right? When you can get... Jordan Alvarez, 15 or mm. 20 picks earlier. When you can get J.D. Martinez, 15 or 20 picks earlier. When Giancarlo Stanton goes later, I know there's legitimately inflated injury risk and bad luck on Stanton's profile. It's really mm -hmm. hard to say you have to have Cruz at the price. So part of it's just like thinking that group of players as a whole is actually pretty undervalued this year. Otani's projections are pretty amazing too. Um, you know, there's always that caveat with the weekly leagues and stuff, but you know, his projections are for like 280 batting average, 25 homers and like 15 steals. It's pretty awesome. And I, I did want to point out one thing that is showing with Cruz. The H is showing. It may not show when you look at batting average OBP and stuff, but he's dropped to 15th percentile for speed. And it is right around there that the third baseman starts taking a couple steps back. And when that happens, he starts, you know, stealing a couple singles and doubles from you. So that's part of why I mentioned you'd regress his Babbitt for his age. You'd regress it for his sprint speed, too. So if you're looking at uh, Cruz's projections, um, you know, on uh, and you notice that um, the bat has the lowest Babbitt, that's because sprint speed is in the bat X. Right. And we've talked about that with Gary Sanchez. You know, you can hit the ball hard. Uh, but if you hit the ball hard and you're one of the slowest runners in the league, teams can play you differently and balls that should be hits turn into outs as a result of... Uh, Pujols. Yeah, right, yes. Pujols, Pujols had a defense where there was nobody on the infield grass. Uh, nobody on the infield cut out. They were all on the outfield grass. And that's going to keep that average down, even if you still have the ability to hit the ball very hard because Pujols is like an old, old wooden ship running the bases at this point. <laughs> it's like watching Bobby Cox run to first. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's that still... He's still a level away from <laughs> Bobby Cox territory with sprint speed, but, but he's closing <laughs> Bobby in. Bobby Cox for me, dude. Bobby Cox for me, 
made me question the idea of why do the managers need to wear uniform because Bobby Cox was just uh, in the later years just did not fill out a uniform that well and he would just kind of like like look like kind of like a hemorrhoid walk out to the mountain you're just like dude like put on something more comfortable I don't know this just doesn't you're not an athlete anymore does it harken back to like days when when these players were also like player coaches like Shane Mack and stuff and like you know like is it Connie Shane Mack. Mack. Connie Mack. Shane Mack is the outfielder for the Twins. Yeah. Does it, is it, are harking back to those days that like they used to be able to be like, I'll put myself in today? Yeah, it goes all the way back to that. It's one of those strange traditions. That I think a lot of the modern managers are getting away from it. If you're watching us on YouTube, I think the preferred way to go is the baggy sweatshirt. Like this is a, mm-hmm. a 2008 Brewers playoff sweatshirt. It's a 13 year old sweatshirt. This sweatshirt's in middle school. Shout out to Majestic for making nice products. This thing has been washed a hundred times at least. Did Council like cut the sleeves off some of those? <laughs> like, He's got a little like bit a of like a Belichick modification <laughs> thing that he does. But yeah, so like, Council still looks like a player. It's, it looks exactly like they did as a player. But he, he's, he doesn't wear the full uniform as it's only. He always has a shirt over it or something. It's just more comfortable. I mean, I, I'm more comfortable that way all the time. So I can't... Can't imagine why you'd want to wear the full uniform, uh, especially if it's not uh, flattering to to your shape, which I think is a, a reasonable way to describe Bobby Cox uh, going out there to get ejected from games back in the day. Uh, some other news to get to. Chris Archer is a Ray again. So yes, the Rays have all of them. They have Austin Meadows. They have Shane Boz. They have Chris Archer. Uh, it's fun. Not for long. You know, they'll, they'll trade Shane, Austin Meadows after next year. <laughs> right. They'll, they'll turn Austin Meadows into three more prospects. and Sign, sign him on a one-year deal when he's done with that. <laughs> one red paper clip uh, as an organization. That's the Tampa Bay Rays in a nutshell. But uh, it's interesting to see Archer go back to Tampa Bay. They needed some more pitching. I think we've tried to bump James Paxton onto their roster a few times on this show. And, I mean, who's more familiar with Chris Archer than the Rays? If they... They, if they see him as being worth $6.5 million this year, and we know how much they like to pinch pennies there, that gives me a little more faith in him than if he'd gone to, well, obviously Colorado, but let's just pick a, a more neutral sort of place. If Chris Archer had gone to the Rangers, I would have more of a ho-hum sort of opinion. But the fact that the Rays went back and got him, that makes me a little more interested in him as a very, very late pitching target. I was really surprised. Uh, he has a 111 stuff number last year, even in his injury ridden, riddle, riddled. Uh, what did he did he even pitch last year? 2019 was the last time we saw him. Okay, so I'm I'm going back to the driveline stuff number. Uh, but uh, he, that that season he he had like a uh, what is it a 519 ERA for the Pirates, um, but he still had a 111 stuff number from from driveline. So. Um, you know, that, uh, that surprised me a little bit. The other piece of knowledge is that his command is, is, is subpar. It always has been. He's, he's definitely a two pitch guy. And, um, I think that the combination of his command and two pitchedness, uh, led to something that Alex Chamberlain tweeted today that Chris Archer has, um, added, or at least in 2019, added more launch angle and exit velocity uh, on his four seam, like using his four seamer. He had he had more 
of a positive effect on the launch angle and exit velocity of hitters than any other pitcher and pitch type. In the That's league. not good. <laughs> it's something like he added like three and a, or no, I think he added like four miles an hour exit velocity and like, you know, nine degrees of launch angle. So uh, that, that, that fits with the fact that, you know, he gave up two homers per nine basically that year. Uh, but if anybody can fix them, it's the Rays. I just, um, I, like, I, it, he, it's, he's in this weird nexus of like having to be so deep that, uh, you'd want to say, oh, mono league. But in mono leagues, you really want the innings. So, like, are you really going to take a bet on Chris Archer to give you innings? You know, so it's, it's, he's really almost not a mono league guy and, uh, maybe more of like a score sheet where you can just have a bunch of starters and put them in your bullpen. Sometimes you can do that in score sheet where your starters are pitching in the bullpen. Um, you can uh, maybe uh, do them in like a, like a 20 team mixed league type deal where it's a really deep mixed league and uh, maybe you have a deep bench and you can just kind of throw them there as a, as a flyer uh, because, you know, there's still a really good slider in, in him. And if he gets the velocity back, velocity and a really good slider, you know, could be enough to to get back to, you know, the days when he had like a low fours ERA and struck out, you know, 11 per nine. Yeah, I, you know, it's a good sign when you're trying to look up where you had someone ranked and it tells you to wait <laughs> when you control F a player on a spreadsheet. Uh, but I, I would say if I had to drop Chris Archer somewhere in the rankings, it's going to be he's at 113 right now. That was when we didn't know where he was going to pitch. I don't know if he's going to move up a lot based on that. Maybe, maybe he can crack the back of the top 100, but is he really that much better off right now than Alex Cobb in Anaheim, who we talked about in our last episode? I mean, by default, I already have Archer ranked ahead of Cobb, but they're in the same cluster. They're in the really deep league only for now, keep an eye on them sort of tier. Yeah, because I have Brad Keller, um, you know, as a guy who has a similar um, uh, stuff number, similar command number, better uh, health risk number, benefits from seam shifted wake, better park, uh, or at least similar park. Um, you know, I, I could, I can't see putting Archer ahead of him, and I have Brad Keller around ninety nine right now. So I think I agree. I would put him maybe in the Robbie Ray, Josh Limblom, uh, Matt Shoemaker low hundreds. All right. Yeah. I have Keller at 97 and Ray at 95. So we're kind of in agreement. It's just one of your last pitchers that you'd throw out yeah. there and kind of carefully use them early on and see if there's something else he unlocks, a change in pitch mix, an uptick in velocity. Uh, maybe just getting off that fastball would be step one for fixing Chris Archer in his second stint with the Rays. Last news item to get to real quick. Sean Doolittle joins the Reds. Simple question for you, Eno. Does he enter the mix as a possible closer, or does he just give them another lefty that they can use in the sixth or seventh or eighth and maybe make it easier for someone like Amir Garrett to take that job and run with it? That's the ticket right there. I think he makes it a slightly more likely that uh, Amir Garrett is the closer, which sucks for me because I have a couple of Lucas Sims that shares, <laughs> and it's but it's still fun because Lucas Sims and Amir Garrett apparently are battling on social media, and uh, it's 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 good natured, uh, but they're you know they're using moving images. I won't say the name of that um, because on, it, apparently it's pronounced uh, GIF. That's the right way. 
It's not peanut butter. I'm a GIF man, so uh, I I will say moving images and sound like a person from the 50s. We'll we'll get the peanut Um, butter people to sponsor the podcast, and you can say GIF (laughs) a hundred times in one minute if you want to. Uh, Didn't the creator say it was GIF? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just because you make something doesn't mean you get to name it. (laughs) Doesn't it mean that? Doesn't. Sometimes other people so name it for you. So you're saying that my mother does not know what my how to pronounce my name. Like you could you could <laughs> say that you can pronounce Eno however you like because it doesn't matter that my mother created me. No, I think humans are the exception. But I think if you design something else, you create something else, and other people have a say in how it's named, you, the, the masses win. All right, all right. Um, uh, anyway, they're battling. Uh, with whatever those things are called, and uh, and they're and they're excited to get there. Garrett seems to have, um, you know, the bulldog mentality of a closer. He's literally tried to fight entire teams uh, at one time by himself. Um, so uh, I don't know if that means anything. It doesn't usually um, register for me, but uh, you know, having another capable lefty in that bullpen, I think, makes it a little bit easier uh, for them to go to Garrett. It absolutely does, and uh, I, I like the way that bullpen's coming together, even though it's going to be a possible headache for us all season long from a fantasy perspective if someone gets the job and fails to lock it down right away. But I am on the Garrett side of that battle to begin the season. Or they the play the dreaded matchups. They could. They could do the modern bullpen thing and make themselves like the Rays. They've got the, the tools to make it happen. Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at trifume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. Let's get to our outfield rankings. Outfield rankings part one. Always a fun position to talk about because it's loaded up at the top. You've got arguably four of the five or six best players in baseball, all right at the top of draft boards. Acuna, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto. Of the elite of the elite players, I don't have any reservations about any of them, really. The one negative thing I can say about Ronald Acuna is that when I watch him play, he looks like he's in pain a lot. He looks like he strains stuff and is uncomfortable a lot. But what do you do with that? I mean, he's he's awesome. He's one of the best players in the league. So uh, I think the, the main question some people have is, why are we not taking Mike Trout number one overall anymore? Because that's different. You know, he's kind of the default number one pick over the last five plus years now. And there are some rooms where he falls to fifth or sixth overall. I mean, I'm not, I'm closer to uh, 
projection first guy that like you know starts there i will move guys around um i will have tendencies to to take certain plays over other players despite um you know the projections saying a different thing but uh you know this is the first time i remember looking at the projections and seeing my trout not coming number one so you know that's that's enough for me to say okay you know I'm going to add, I'm looking at the projections. I'm looking at the player. He's 29 years old. The peak in baseball is 26. Uh, he stole one bag against one caught stealing last year. There's a great chance, I think, of, uh, especially if, the, you know, I almost think that if the team gets better, the less likely it is he steals more because A, he has more confidence in the other hitters to bat him in if he's on base. And B, he's more like, whoa, we're good this year. Like, I can't. I can't risk it. I can't get a, you know, bust a finger going into a base or something. So, um, you know, I, the projections say seven to uh, 12 stolen bases. ATC was seven. That's sort of speaking to me a little bit. Um, so, you know, if he becomes more of a traditional power hitter um, with a good batting average and the steals are down at sort of six and seven, uh, that's how you fall behind uh, guys who do everything. Yeah, I think that's the the key separator here. And I think that kind of puts Trout versus Soto as one sort of debate after you get through Tatis, Acuna, and Mookie Betts in whatever order you prefer them. I think that's the way a lot of people are looking at it. Uh, I totally understand that. I mean, Soto at this point, his projection is similar in stolen bases. Because he's younger, it's easier to buy into him hitting that projection or even maybe exceeding mm-hmm. it slightly. In terms of what he could do as a hitter, I think he's maybe the only like all-around hitter capable of matching or even exceeding Trout's incredibly lofty average OBP run production combo. Like that's the type of player Juan Soto is, and uh, I think he's, of all the young, exciting players in the game, he's the one that if you had to say one's a little bit under discussed or relatively under the radar, it would probably be Soto at this point. Yeah, uh, he's. I used to say that he was a young Miggy, but I have this idea that maybe he's going to be better, um, which is crazy in a way because Miggy's a Hall of Famer. Um, so I guess longevity is uh, a bit of the question, but um, you know, there's uh, there's this sort of idea that like you know oh Juan Soto short season last year 351 average 490 OBP that was all just sort of short season nonsense and you know to some extent it was you know he had a 363 Babbitt that's a little bit uh, aggressive but uh, you look at some of the components man he he has improved his walk rate every year and he's improved his strikeout rate every year he's improved his power every year uh, what if we haven't seen the best of Soto? And I don't mean necessarily that he'll have to do better, but what if he did something like what he did in 2020 for a whole season? I don't think it's impossible. I'm I'm spe- I'm, I'm pushing. I'm being a little bit hyper, hyper hyperbolic here, but like I, I I don't know, man. I I think he. If you look at him versus Trout, and you see that the projections are almost equal, you just gotta take Soto because he's pre-peak. And all of the variance, he's 22 years old, all the variance um, is in the other direction. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's in the good direction. And all the variance for for Trout is is mostly in the bad direction. So 
I think that you have to take Soto over Trout. It's such in a conclusion. It's such a fun <laughs> spot to be in anywhere near the first part of the first round, but you have to decide before you get to your draft. What is your actual preferred order? Because making that decision in the moment would be terrible. <laughs> You'll go crazy. Uh, uh, You'll burn the entire pick clock going back and forth if you don't decide ahead of time what you want to do with it. I want to do something real, real quick. Um, they have this thing um, on on baseball perspective. It's called the Axe. And it um, it's like the auction calculator for fan graphs. But one sort of key difference that's interesting is that you can uh, put in the 95th percentile or 99th percentile. Uh, you can you can change the percentile projection. Um, and that's kind of fun because you can be like, oh, I think I think he's actually going to do the 60th or 70th or 80th. So I'm going to put the 95th percentile. Should I do 99th? Yeah, do 99. The 99th percentile uh, Juan Soto in. And I'm going to apply the percentile changes and see... Uh, how he would do. Yes, he would be the number one player in baseball, um, and he'd be worth $76 in auction value. He would hit 395 with 41 homers and nine stolen bases. Um, it doesn't have the OBP and stuff in here, but, uh, I, you know, not very likely, but... You're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> There is. I, I love I love Juan Soto. I'm totally in the tank for him. I don't know how many steals he'll have, but I just think that a high OBP is just going to get make the most out of runs in RBI. Uh, I haven't seen a whiff of injury uh, issues with him yet. The walk strikeout, I love that. I, I love how he celebrates takes. Um, I think he's uh, going to be the engine of a, of a Nationals team that looked like they weren't going to do anything and did enough for me to think that they uh, will, they put a representative lineup around him. So how do you stack up the top four? Because I go Acuna, Trout, Betts, Soto, which is weird to go speed, less speed, speed, little less speed. I think you could literally argue them in any order you want. But how do you rank, how do you rank those four? I think Betts replaces Trout as the uh, guy who has the highest floor. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think Acuna's strikeout rate and some of the injury stuff makes him a little bit more higher variance. So I think I go Betts, Acuna, Soto, Trout. All right. Moving on to some guys that were previously in that conversation that make being in the back part of round one, early part of round two, pretty fun. Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger, uh, two guys who have won an LMVP awards in the not-so-distant past. Uh, I'm very confident in part because of the the way Christian Yelich hit the ball, like the contact he was making in the shortened season was still incredibly good hard contact even though the k rate jumped up to 30.8 percent i just don't see that being who he is the projections are very good still i think 38 home runs and 19 steals from the famous original bat a 289 average i mean those are numbers that put him right up there with the names we just mentioned i do think yelich especially with bellinger coming off of a shoulder injury like yelich goes ahead of bellinger for me pretty easily but those are two guys that i don't see anything in their underlying profiles that makes me think they're not going to bounce back to their previously elite levels yeah you know the one thing is that bellinger while his uh power numbers were muted um his strikeout rate and walk rate didn't move much um, and Christians did, uh, that 30.8% strikeout rate is just, uh, a bit much for me. Um, 
and you know you can look at the graphs uh, on fan graphs you can do this thing you do graphs and then you do by game um, you can get a rolling graph uh, and you can throw in uh, you know like his swing rate uh, and his strikeout rate and you'll notice that um, you know he in 2020 swung less than ever and he struck out more than ever and that near the end of the season uh, the strikeout rate was trending in the right direction um, but you might also notice that in 2019, his strikeout rate, um, uh, started real low and trended to upwards. So there's actually a longer trend of, uh, the strikeout rate going up from late 2018. There's just like a long trend that goes up, um, all the way into 2020. So I don't know. I, I, it's almost enough for me to take Ballinger over Elch. It's uh strikeout rate is a big deal. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the in-game, um, maybe the in-game video, the lack of in-game video, we talked about that with, with Christian, like that maybe there was, uh, something there. Um, but, um, this is a guy who should not strike out 30% of the time and all the regression says he will, uh, strike out less, but also he's 29 and Bellinger's 25 and the auction calculator has them separated uh, by four dollars, so that's that's a decision that makes it tough on me. Um, I guess Yali by uh, a smidge over Belly, but I could see them ending the season with Bellinger uh, having more value because you know the strikeout rate stayed better, the Statcast stats are still pretty good, and he's four years younger. Yeah, the projections also lump Bryce Harper in to this group there's a slight dip in ADP I think he's just outside the top 20 but still a firm like mid even early second rounder in a lot of drafts you're getting big power you're getting some speed you're getting a great OBP you're getting a little more batting average risk within the projection but you're not seeing the spike in K's from Harper that we saw from Yelich I mean we still saw Bryce Harper carry a 17.6 percent K rate with a 20.1% walk rate in the short season. I think he's one of those guys where, because the expectations were so high from the time that he was a high school prospect, we're never as impressed with Bryce Harper when he's really good as we probably should be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote uh, some glowing things about the long contract the Phillies gave him, um, and I read the comments, so I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't show up. Uh, you know, he doesn't it doesn't play center anymore. Um, he doesn't have a high batting average, which I think still um, is meaningful for it's meaningful for fantasy and it's meaningful for some people when they uh, sort of appraise a, a player generally. Um, it is meaningful in fantasy though because of the three, which one do you think will have the lowest batting averages here? I would follow the projections. I think it is going to be Harper. But I have more confidence than you do in Yelich getting back down to low to mid-20s with his K-rate. I mean, I think we're talking like 23 24% for him. If I'm wrong about that, then that could flip pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty close between Bellinger on the bad X and Bellinger and Harper. It's 274 for Harper, 278 for Bellinger. Uh, you know what, man? Uh, give me all the shares of all these guys, actually. Um, the, the one thing that I like about these guys is that they will steal bases. Um, and you know, I don't think none of them will steal bases where you say, ah, good. I, you know, I'm good on stolen bases, but I think 
all three of them will steal bases enough to stay above, um, to, to be a positive rather than a negative. It'd be pretty interesting to build an auction team around at least two of them, but maybe even all three. Make those three guys your three big purchases because they really shouldn't hurt you in any categories. They should be above average across the board. Uh, the confidence level and the projection is high, and they're going to come at a slightly lower price than the first group of outfielders that we mentioned, but they're capable of actually exceeding and getting into that that range at season's end. And then there's kind of a drop in the outfield. Like After this first seven that we've talked about a lot so far, you get into the Kyle Tucker, Luis Robert, uh, Whit Merrifield, if you want to throw him in the outfield mix since he's eligible there, obviously. You can talk about him as part of this group. You, know, you start to find flaws pretty easily in the next group. Plenty of good players mixed in there. I mean, I liked Kyle Tucker probably as much as anybody this time last year. And I'm just not sure how I feel about going after him as a fringe top 30 overall guy. I think there's some batting average risk reflected in the projections. You know, compared to other top end outfielders, projected 321 OBP, that worries me for a guy that is going to be a late second, early third round pick. I trust the power. I trust the speed. Clearly the Astros, you know, losing Springer and with the way that team's built right now, there's there's no one pushing him for playing time. He's a legitimate anchor in that lineup at this point. Uh, but do you share some of my concerns about Tucker at the highly inflated price for 2021? I don't know. I think he might just be worth it. Sometimes um, the wave is pushing a young guy that just checks all the boxes and it seems like it's pushing him too hard, but um, you know, a guy that's going not going to strike out much is going to walk, um, has some breakout potential beyond what he's done already, um, and has uh, you know thirty twenty projections, and isn't you know somebody like a full unknown like um, when you know there were some projections for. Uh, Dominic Brown to go 30 30 in Philadelphia. That was before he'd taken a major league at bat, you know, so, so it was insane. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, he has actually, uh, stolen 14 bases in 16 tries in the major leagues. Uh, he's actually hitting some, hit some home runs. He's hitting, he's been hitting home runs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, I've been hanging out with my kids too much, but, um, <laughs> I do wanted to point out something um, that uh, Jeff Zimmerman found recently. He was talking about um, 650 OPS being um, an interesting line. It, it, you know, like if you're below 650 OPS, you're not really a major leaguer. You know, you're not going to be a, a regular. You're not going to be a starter. And um, if you look at where steals come from, there's too many guys that come from um, around 650. And in fact, I want to move the projection number up to 700 here, 700 OPS. And the reason I'm doing that is because if you have a 700 OPS, you still have a chance of hitting 650, right? There's always the, like the percentiles that we moved on Soto. If you move the percentile up to 99 on Soto, it looks amazing. Um, everything that we're looking at is a 50th percentile, but that if your 50th percentile is for 651, that means a lot of times you have a 640 OPS and you lose your job, basically, right? It's back to the sort of Danny Santana and, you know, who do we want to bet on? So if you look at just projected stolen bases and who has above a 700 OPS, you get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 
11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 players. 22 players. 22 players in all of baseball that are projected to have more than 15 stolen bases and more than a 700 OPS. That's that's where we're picking from. Yeah. That we all all of the stolen bases that you want to roster on your team. Yes, there would be more stolen bases that come from the wire or the surprise 650 projected guy, you know, the the Anthony Alford who's projected for 630 who hits 680 and keeps the job. Uh maybe the end Aaron Ciarte, he's got a 640, maybe he keeps the job or maybe somebody gets hurt. There's there's more stolen bases to be had, but if you are if you're trying to buy steals right now, you're buying from 22 players and that's in mixed leagues so i feel like yeah i'm okay with kyle tucker i mean that was a long way of saying it but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i've got him ranked as the next outfielder behind harper i just think there's a pretty significant drop from harper down to tucker and i I think it's projections too yeah and i think i've got starling 34 and tucker's at 20 i think i've got starling Marte a little higher than most people do. I've got him next behind Tucker for the reasons you mentioned. I think when you look at, I, I was using projected Woba next to stolen bases, kind of doing the same thing, looking for mm-hmm. the green light in steals, the green conditional formatting next to a red light in Woba, and you get light green and dark green when it comes to Starling Marte's stolen bases, dark green and light green with that Woba. I think he's got one more year where he's going to be mid to high 20s with steals double digit home runs and and really solid run production across the board so uh, i think that's what's kind of pushing starling Marte up into that range for me uh, whit merrifield i think i've been wrong about as many times as i can be wrong about a player like i've <laughs> bet against him pretty much every year since he showed up in the big leagues and i think i'm wrong is it four years running now uh i have him ranked in my top 10 among outfielders and yet I just don't think I'm going to have many teams, which is a really strange place to be at because the next group, based on ADP, where Marte actually goes, it's around pick 50. George Springer was falling into that range. Maybe he jumps up now that he's in Toronto. Marcelo Zuna is close to that range. Uh, Randy Arozarena, if you're looking for a guy who can do everything, I think he kind of makes sense outside the top 50 when you compare his projections to someone like Luis Robert, right? Luis Robert goes closer to where Tucker goes. ADP since January 1st is right around pick 35. We've talked about Luis Robert a ton. There's power. There's speed. He hits the ball hard. He's going to be a very good player for a long time, but you're taking on a lot of risk taking him where he goes, and you're still taking on plenty of risk with Randy Arozarena, but if you're getting him 20 picks later, you're getting a much more stable player where you have to take Luis Robert. Yeah, I think that the ups and downs, you know, the 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 variability, uh, the bars are pretty wide on Robert, and they're and they're less wide on Rosarena. Despite not having a great sample for Rosarena, we do have a little bit more of a sample because we have that that postseason run, which is is somewhat meaningful. And then also, I just think that the worst case for Rosarena is very close to Loriano, um, who has been a valuable player. So, you know, you don't have that risk of like a 210 batting average one season. You know what I mean? Um, the risk for uh, Rosarena is that it's a 260 batting average and 25 homers and 15 stolen bases. That's a pretty high floor. I think the ceiling beyond 
you know, his projections, his ceiling is more for uh, 280, 30, 30, 20, 30, 25 even. You know, he's uh, he's a star. He's feeling it. He's probably playing his way out of Tampa. <laughs> uh, but um, one thing I really like about his approach uh, at the plate that really plays into what's happening in baseball these days um, is that, um, you know, high fastballs are being used more and more and more. And what Rosarena has is, I think, at least two swings, if not three. Um, and he has a flat swing that he's been guessing that he's going to get high fastballs and two strike counts and has hit a bunch of his homers and two strike counts off of high fastballs. And that's something that the league is doing. Of course, they could change the book and not do that. But he also came to this with a kind of a lower swing that can hit breaking balls. So I think if the book changes on him, he'll change again. I think he's he's shown that ability to adjust and adjust back. That's really, really important. I think Robert, like starting so well and fizzling out, makes you wonder how many, how, that adjustability, right? Like wh- how fast does he make those adjustments? Is he a slower guy, like a Brandon Belt type? Uh, you know, where it takes like full season sometimes to adjust back to what's happening. Um, or is he a faster guy? Um, you know, I, I think Mike Trout is to me the most, the fastest adjuster in baseball. You know, Jeff Sullivan wrote a piece about him, you know, early on in his career saying you can get him out with a high fastball. And it took Mike Trout like three months. And then Jeff Sullivan had to write a piece being like, well, you can't get him out with a high fastball anymore. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that that, pretty that fast ability adjustment. to you know to see what people are doing to you and find a way to adjust back is huge um and to me rosarena has it so i'm in, i'm in the tank there and i'm and i'm not sure uh that robert has it so um i'd rather push a rosarena uh, a couple picks uh than robert yeah but that's the key for me i, I think there are similarities in those profiles, but with the Rosarena striking out a bit less when we've seen him, and I think it's encouraging that the K rate in the postseason was even a little bit lower than what we saw once he started playing last September. That gives me a little more confidence in Randy and Rosarena as well. I want to talk about a teammate of Luis Robert here for a moment. Eloy Jimenez kind of gets lumped in now with Springer and Ozuna and Aaron Judge. I like Eloy Jimenez a lot. I think you're getting more batting average, at least in the projections from him, than you are from the other names that I just mentioned. It's coming at a steep price, though. ADP since January 1st, right around pick 35. Do you trust Eloy Jimenez to produce at this early round level at this point? Or is this similar to the Luis Robert problem, just in that you can find very similar players who might even have a safer floor because they've done it a few more times going 15, 20, 25 picks later. Yes. I mean, he doesn't steal bases and, um, you know, long-term sort of dynasty uh, risk is that, you know, he's ends up DHing at some point. Um, he does, he did not turn out to be a very good defender. Um, but the one thing I will say is I, I think, I think the batting average is fairly safe. The strikeout rate uh, is a little bit higher than I thought. I thought when I was going to look that it was going to be like 20, 21, 22%. And he struck out 26.6% his first year and 24.8% last year. Uh, But as a 24-year-old, I think he could improve that one more time. It's not, you know, Robert's sort of 30, 31% level. um, And he's uh, run some high BABIP. So I feel like, uh, you know, Eloy's got a 
pretty safe batting average along with that power, and that's not necessarily true um, as you start to try and find values in power. But he is power only, so that part I agree with. Um, but uh, in terms of how much you can get his exact package later, um, you know, like a guy like Teoscar Hernandez will go later, uh, but is a way more risk when it comes to batting average, you know. Um, Aaron Judge will go later. Um, he's a way more risk when it comes to health, you know. Um, so I don't know. What are we talking about? Uh, Gallo is a, a batting average risk. You know, it's hard to kind of, you know, be like, okay, this guy's going to give me 30 homers with a good batting average, you know, 10 rounds later in the outfield. Yeah, I think the good batting average caveat is where it breaks down for a lot of players and their profiles. You can find 30 home run outfielders throughout that 50 to 100 range, but a lot of them are going to hit 240 or 250. And if you get to the Conforto, next... Conforto, though. Conforto. That's exactly what I was going to say. I have Conforto. <laughs> I have him 17th among outfielders. I've got him a lot higher than ADP. So he will be on a lot of my teams this year. I like the lineup. I think the power is safe. The batting average floor is solid. I don't know if you if Eloy has a 270 this year and Conforto has a 260. I'm fine with that if I'm saving yeah. that pick for something else. I, I just think it's opportunity cost for Jimenez. It's not that I don't like him as a player, but it's that I see someone like Michael Conforto as equally productive for a pretty nice discount. His worst... His worst season since he became a full-time player was 2018 when he had a 243 batting average and 28 homers. So that's that's Conforto's uh, floor, I'd say, at this point in his career. Um, that's a pretty good floor, and it comes with a discount. Another discounted player that is showing up on this first page that I think people would be very surprised uh, by. Do you know where I'm going with this? Nick Castellanos? No. I might even surprise you. A.J. Pollock. Oh, I love A.J. Pollock. 33 years old, projected to hit 260 with 30 homers and 10 stolen bases. Now, we've always said 33, 32, 33, you start, when you start believing the projections less. So, you know, you don't look at the auction calculator, see, oh, A.J. Pollock, $18 player, and plunk, you know, $18 on the table on a jump bid and, and screw yourself. Because... I don't think he'll cost $18. I don't think he'll cost uh, – uh, he looks like a top 15, top 20 type outfielder. I don't think he'll cost that. Uh, mm-hmm. But just knowing that he has that projection means that you might target him later and you might uh, be able to make a, a different decision, get an infielder instead of an outfielder um, at somewhere. Where, like even like Eloy, even at the Eloy point, if there's another infielder that has the same auction value projected or, you know, the same rank in your mind, maybe take that infielder. Cause you say, I can get Pollock, uh, with some speed, some speed to offset the batting average risk and the age risk. And I can get that later. Yeah. I, I do think Pollock because of his injury history is getting discounted, but it's probably even more than he should be. Uh, even if you don't fully buy into that projection, if you don't think he's a 30-10 guy, I think he's pretty easily like a 20-6 and six guy with really good run production and not a lot of batting average risk. At pick 200, that's very nice. The Let's get to a few other early uh, outfielders kind of before you get outside the top 100 overall. Trent Grisham, I think, is a tough player to evaluate. Projections spit out a 246 average in the case of the bat, but a nice OBP at 342. 
24 homers, 13 steals, pretty good run production because the Padres lineup keeps getting better. We've talked about this team having just really impressive depth, and we've wondered how that impacts some of the other players on the depth chart. I mean, I think Tommy Pham, just because of health risk and the depth they have, is is not necessarily a max volume player. As long as he's healthy, I think he's probably more of like an 80 to 85% share player. I think Will Myers might be in that boat now too. So is Grisham also subject to the rotation and the depth that the Padres have, or is he going to be a cut above the other outfielders? Because if he's a cut above, I think you can argue him into the top 20 among outfielders. Yeah, he's tough. He's not a first pager by the bad X. He's, you know, a top 40 outfielder. Uh, but he has a lot of the skills that I really love that I think make players, um, you know, he's way, way better than that when it comes to um, dynasty leagues because I love his plate skills. I love the fact that he's an across-the-board athletic player um, that uh, can find ways to help his team, uh, you know, in different ways as he gets older um, and uh, in some ways like an A.J. Pollock. Center fielder now, outfielder later, you know, corner outfielder later, still not a zero on the base pass, that sort of deal. I think he'll age really well. I think that uh, he's not going to be subject to the games, uh, the depth chart games in, in San Diego, because I don't want to put anybody else in center field. I think Will Myers is past that point. Uh, I think Pham is past that point. I don't think Profire ever was at that point. So, um, you know, he's the really the only guy you want out there at center field. And at his age, I think you run him out there all the time. So high uh, playing time projection, uh, high security uh, when it comes to uh, good strikeout rate, good walk rate, good plate skills will give you everything. Is he going to hit 245? He hit 251 last year. He does not hit the ball super hard. He, he, he barrels it well, but he doesn't hit it super hard on average. Um, I guess he could only hit 250. Then you're pushing him hard, I'd have to say, uh, on the top 20 inclusion. Right, because you have a lot of other guys that probably beat 250. Maybe they don't get those bags that Grisham's going to get, but they're likely to match or exceed the run production that you're going to get from Grisham, which probably will lean uh, pretty heavily to the run side and be a little lighter on the RBI side. I kind of expect Grisham to be locked in at the top of that lineup. Give me some ADPs. I need two ADPs. I need uh, Grisham's ADP, and mm-hmm. I need Ian Happ's ADP. Grisham is going sixty-four since January first, and Ian Happ one sixty-one. That doesn't. I'm sorry. Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Ian Happ's yeah, so, projections for two forty, twenty-five homers, eight stolen bases. Yeah. So there, we've been doing this sort of eat this, not that kind of analysis throughout our position previews, and it breaks down sometimes because if you if you think you're definitely going to get that alternative player and there aren't other similarly useful fallback options behind that player, then you just mm-hmm. end up roasting yourself because you missed out on all the value. But I do think it sometimes is just a good way to think about the problem solving of how you build the roster and whether or not you should use a particular pick on something else. I think Hap could be a good reason to not go after Trent Grisham where he's going. Uh, Because I I do think with Hap, you're looking at another guy that's going to be a leadoff guy. He's probably not going to lose playing time to anybody. They traded away his his competition at center or just DFA'd him. 
Yeah, so I, I do think there's a lot to like with Ian Happ. I think it's a really good comp and, and point to sort of bring up from a cost perspective. And now you have me wondering if I need to bring down that Grisham rank a little bit. How about a third uh, uh, ADP, Lorenzo Kane? Oh, he's he's real cheap. No one no one likes Lorenzo Kane anymore. Even well, though then you then you have a third option, right? And and mm-hmm. it's a third option that's slightly differently, um, uh, slightly different set of skills, but. Uh, could check some boxes for you. So Hap will steal fewer bags than Grisham probably. Um, so if in the meantime, if you peace out on Grisham, in the meantime, you pick somebody with steals, you can take Hap. But in the meantime, you don't pick somebody with steals, you can take Kane. And you've you've identified like two options that'll go way later that can give you approximate value at the position uh, in slightly different shapes uh, and be much cheaper. So uh, those are two names. We I'm going too far onto the second page, though. So just questioning uh, pushing Grisham that hard as much as I love him. And I think in Dynasty, I think I would uh, I wouldn't hesitate, I think, to put him in a top 20 just because this combination of age, skills, defense. I love I think it'll age really well. But um, the barrel rate and the exit velocity doesn't suggest to me the max exit velocity doesn't suggest to me that. We're going to have like a 30 homer, 25 steel season in him. So here's a couple names that I have just behind Trent Grisham. Maybe I should be shuffling these around a little bit. Austin Meadows, who goes would quite a bit rather? later. This is a would you rather. Austin, Austin Meadows, Meadows yes. goes 30 picks later than Trent Grisham. Projections are pretty similar. Low 20s power. Run production is lighter because the playing time projection for Meadows that's feeding mm. into those projections is lighter and it's the raise factor but maybe maybe Meadows is a good cautionary tale for Grisham in some ways like look where we were drafting Austin Meadows this time last year right late round two early round three he was hurt throughout the shortened season I'm giving him a pass maybe I'm wrong to do that but I actually think Grisham and Meadows are, are very similar in terms of what I expect them to do yeah, yeah, and I'd be willing to give uh, Meadows a little bit of a pass on this year, this 2020 year, uh, because of the the COVID and the and the. Um, but you know the projections: 258, 26 homers, 10 stolen bases. Uh, looks very similar. Um, so I am going to take Meadows. I believe. Yes, I'm going to take Meadows. I mean, especially when you're talking about well, that price. I'll take it at the price. But but you're talking about ranking, where you just actually which one would Straight you rather up. have? And I think if I, same price, I'm going to take Grisham. And here's my reasoning: I the one thing I like is the ten stolen bases with one caught stealing in in a shortened season. Yeah, they could just let him go. It's not the type of uh, it's not the type of team that will uh, put a hard red light on one of their players. I don't think. I would have less confidence in Meadows' stolen base projection by comparison, which for now is at least why I have Grisham ranked ahead of him, but I have them right next to each other in the overall. Uh, a couple multi-position guys jammed in behind that, Brandon Lau, Kevin Biggio. We've talked about those guys before. There's batting average risk in Lau's case, more power. In Biggio's case, more speed. I think the question I have for you with Biggio, I know we've talked about him before, but how much do you trust his stolen bases? Because if you look at what he's done so far... His stolen base rate as a big league player is above what he's projected to do. You know, I almost wonder if his steals are under projected or if he falls into the trap of Toronto not running as much as we would like them to. Because in 159 career games, 
Kevin Biggio has 20 steals. He's 20 for 20 as a base stealer in what is amounted to a full season's worth of games in his career. It almost encapsulates, encapsulates like what I think of Kevin Biggio. You know, it's like, you know, not a guy who you would think of as super fast, but has just never been thrown out. Like just super heady player. Uh, you could totally see this guy as, as having grown up around baseball and just knowing what to look for and knowing when to take off, what situations make for the best situations to, to, to take that extra base. So, um, it's hard to project someone like that, right? Because they're not going to be that fast and they're never going to go for like 30 because they're never going to find 30 situations. I think that fit that, that fit the bill the same way, you know? Uh, so I, I think there's going to be sort of steady 10 to 15 stone base guys. That that's, that's what I think of is I think of like Joey Votto, you know, he did maybe did have, did he have one year? Did Joey Votto go 30, 30 one? Uh, I don't know if he ever went 30, 30. That, that seems a little high. Nope. Not even close. He had a 16 and uh, a bunch of sort of eights and tens for a while. Uh, like a little bit better than Joey Votto. He's not the same body type, but that sort of deal where he just gives you, he gives you stolen bases every year. 18 is the high for Votto. Could be the five for Biggio. So yeah, once you get through this group, you get into the Blackman Castellanos types, the guys that play every day that are going to produce runs. Blackman, I think we can look at him and say he's probably not stealing more than a handful of bags anymore. But the average, because of the park, very good for where he goes. You're not finding a lot of guys that are projected to hit 290 who are outside the top 75 overall. That's actually a pretty difficult find. Yeah, I mean... Just using 15-team leagues and the bad X, the projection for Blackman, even in his reduced state, is for $15. And the projection for Biggio, I guess you're talking about that sort of 500 plate appearance mattering. Uh, but here uh, in the bad X, the, the projection is six, 617 plate appearances and uh, a $7 value. So Blackman's batting average is really, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a kind of an amazing uh separation there uh, also i cut blackman for money i think in two leagues in auto new making me a little sick right now but uh one of them was uh was linear weights points um and he's just not going to do that well there doesn't walk a lot um doesn't actually have huge power and the batting average means a little bit less but you know hey man uh probably will hit 300 even though the predictions don't say that, I think he'll probably hit 300. What's the worst case for Blackman if he's healthy? Just like Michael Brantley type power where he gets down to like high teens home runs? 280, I mean, 25. Yeah, yeah, 18 to 25, 18 to 22. It's so much floor. I know we're bored by floor. I know we're annoyed by the Rockies, but Blackman where he goes seems very stable despite the fact that he's you know, on the wrong side of 30 now. Let me name some. Let me name some names that are first pagers that we haven't just we haven't talked about uh, by Bad X. Um, I, I can see these being soft projections, like somehow being riskier than they seem. But um, Will Myers is on the front page. I can't do it. I, I think playing time is one concern. I'm not sure the steals are going to be there anymore either. I mean. If we're worried about the Jays running a little less because their offense is better, I think we should have that concern about the Padres. Like this is a team that 
won't have to force players to steal bases to manufacture runs. Will Myers attempted three steals in the shortened season. He had 15 home runs. He's still a solid player, but he hit 288. He hasn't done that since 2013. He's been yeah. 260, under 260 every year since 2014 before the shortened season. Yeah, I think there's some risk there. And I think the I think the playing time risk is the biggest one for me because when I was looking at depth charts for the Padres, I was like, wow, they're projected to be above average everywhere except for right field. Who's playing there? Oh, Will Myers. And, uh, you know, being projected for one win and then having the team sign Jerickson Profar uh, after they'd signed Haseon Kim and still had Jake Cronenworth said to me that, like, there is some concern about the depth in the corners. And if everyone's healthy, Myers might be a platoon bat. And he's a right-hander. So, you know, it, it depends on how healthy people are and how he's hitting. But if he he has also one of those, like, kind of, like, down-the-drain season-type possibilities where he doesn't start out that great and then they start platooning him because, he, you know, they start only hitting him against lefties because he's not doing that well and Profar is doing well. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you get 250, 300 plate appearances from him and you get none of that value that's in the auction calculator. So I agree. Um, Andrew McCutcheon shows as a $16 player. I think I like him probably a little more than ADP. ADP's got him close to the back of the top 200. I think there's probably less batting average value there than there used to be. That's one of the key differences for him. But otherwise, not worried about playing time. Still gets on base a lot, so the stole, run production should be there. Stole four bases last year against zero against zero caught stealings. That's really surprising to me. I thought at this point he'd already be kind of a slow slugger type. Yeah, I'm I'm thumbs up on him as being a little undervalued, but I'm also not. Are you gonna push him? Like I'm not gonna pick him over Trent Grisham, am I? Just because the auction calculator says he's sixteen dollars and Grisham is fourteen dollars, I'm not gonna take him over Grisham. No, I think He's I think this is exactly the type of player that the projections can overshoot a little bit. And if if the market corrects for that, sometimes it can overcorrect for that. I think that's what's happening here. I think the projection's too high, but I also think the correction being made in drafts is a little bit too much. I think you could justify McCutcheon where he's going and, and be happy with him as probably your third or fourth outfielder in an outfield mm-hmm. league where you got to start five. But I don't think he's a must-get. I think he's just a, a nice value where he goes. Yeah, but that that also uh, speaks well for him. It said something like, you know, that a late target at the at the position, you know, uh, that could give you this sixteen dollar value. I think that's pretty good. Um, Abigail Garcia. I don't think we need to discuss him in total detail because a six hundred twenty one plate appearance projection just took a hit with Colton Wong signing today. Potentially, yeah, more of a part timer, I should say, more of a part tour for, for our outfield preview. Right, kind of yeah, fits exactly. into the, the next episode more than than this All one. Right, but so useful. most of these are on that level, but um, uh, you know, Tommy Pham, uh, Byron Buxton, Victor Robles. All showing up with more uh, projection uh, projected uh, auction value than um, Trent Grisham. So I like all three of them. I wouldn't take any of them straight up over Grisham. I think I, think so I, tr- I trust Fam more than Will Myers. I think the projections are just generally better. Mm-hmm. I think with with Fam, you're looking at fewer strikeouts, more walks, just more real life value in general. So if you said one of those guys is going to lose a lot of time to Profar and or Cronenworth. I'm more likely to put that penalty on Will Myers than I am on Fan. 
both could lose time, but if only one is going to lose time, I think it's Myers. Uh, Victor Robles, they're getting to the point where they're not going to let me talk about him anymore, but <laughs> unless he shows up to camp heavy with tree trunk legs or something, I think he gets you the speed that we saw two years ago. I think it's so hard to find speed that I love him at the price. If you get him around pick 140, you're doing really well. ADP since January 1st is closer to 160. Uh, there's still some power there. I know the stat cast numbers stink, but I'm not done with him and for good reason. And for Byron Buxton, I mean, the crazy thing about his season, of course, a lot more power in the shortened season than speed. That's not who he is now. I think it's an encouraging development, but he's still the kind of guy that in my expectations steals you more bases than he hits you home runs. I think the bat has like a 27 homer, 19 steal projection on him. I'd still flip that. If, if he's going to get 27 and 19, it's going to be 19 homers and 27 steals, not the other way around. Which might be more valuable. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the Robles projection and in a lineup that's just as good and less concern about him showing up unfit for his role as a center fielder, right? I mean, Buxton's always in, in great shape and we haven't, we haven't had him show up 30 pounds too heavy before. And I will point out that uh, injury projection for hitters is non-existent, like not right. really a thing. Um, and so as far fetched as it might seem like Buxton, I, I, I would say, I would say, yes, Buxton is less likely than maybe the average starting outfielder that is 27 of doing a full season. But right. I would say that his likeliness, likelihood of hit of doing of having a full season this year is higher than most people would expect. I would say with Buxton, too, there's you know, injury prone players, the guys that have soft tissue issues and have had concussions before, all those kinds of things that can make you concerned about a recurring problem. He does have that, but he also has bad luck on top of that, where he's fouled balls off his feet and collided with other outfielders and had stuff happen to him that it's just random. It's it's the random chaos of playing a game where people throw the ball 100 miles an hour and you try to hit it, and there's other people trying to run around and catch it while you're out there, right? Like That stuff happens, too surprisingly ungraceful for how much hmm. athleticism he has. You know what I mean? Is he ungraceful or is he just going or so just chaotic? Fast? Yeah. I, 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 I almost wonder if it's just like, I don't know, like just being so good, being so quick, so fast that you don't have time to look at what's around you. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't have a great explanation for it, but Bryce Harper had this problem early in his career too, where people said he's got to stop smashing into walls, and, and then he did. He's got to be and a little more mindful. Suffered for it, but he he did start holding up. Right, and I think with Buxton, they've worked with him on things like that. If he can remove some of the occupational hazard of being the center fielder it's that okay he is, it'll still be good. A hit drop in, <laughs> right? Like it, not concussing yourself to let a, a double bounce off the wall and. A, game you're winning by three might be okay in yeah right. you know it's just stuff like that but if, if your nature is to just try and catch the ball which it probably he's, should be right right you're gonna smash into the wall so it's just kind of but finding he's that 27 sweet spot. man and like he has the talent and one of these years he's gonna put together uh like first round year 
Am I cool with having Buxton and Robles in the same mixed league outfield? Like, maybe not. Maybe it's a little too much You know what risk. I kind of like that one? In? I kind of like that as like a great fancy baseball invitational play. One of those ones <laughs> where like, no one will really notice if you finish sixth in your league and, you know, both those guys flamed out and it, and it sucked and you didn't get any steals. But if they both hit their top end of their projections, you might win the overall title. <laughs> if you talk about risk management, you want to be kind of old and boring and you want to avoid the, the Eloys and the types of guys that we're saying to veer away from early on. And you want to take your risk after pick 100. Great. Shoot your then shot you end there. end up with I mean, your Bucks and Robleses later. Yeah. Get those guys that are going to go in the top 50 next year and have the guys early that are less likely to bust. I think that's a perfectly fine way to manage the risk. I think the last question I have for you from this group is Ramon Laureano. Do you think he's somehow safer or a better option around the same range? You'd be thinking about someone like Robles. He kind of goes in between the two players where if you miss out on Buxton, you could pivot to Laureano, but you'd also probably have a choice of Laureano versus Robles. Cause I've got Laureano just behind those guys. I think Batting average is probably not going to be there. I'm not convinced that the power is all that stable. And I think he probably gets you fewer steals than both of those guys. I think the, the makeup of his production is a little more power heavy than I would like for the type of player that he is. Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I, I said that um, Loriano was the worst case scenario for Rosarena. And if you, you kind of make his last season whole, Loriano would have hit like 17 homers and stolen seven bases, hmm. six bases. Um, so that's a pretty, pretty low four actually. Uh, I don't know, man. I've talked to him a bunch and I, I think that, um, he does, he does react a little bit slower sometimes. Like there was a stretch for just game after game after game. They just threw him breaking balls away and he just, couldn't do anything with them, but the light goes on with him. And I, and, uh, he's a really hard worker. Um, the problem is that just, I think that, you know, 10 to 15 is the most you can expect in, st- in steals. So it's, I don't know how comparable players they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He might, he might fit more into the, the Tommy Pham, Will Myers bucket, but less power than Myers, you know, not as much OBP as fam, but more like those guys than the young, super high risk, but possible high reward options that we were talking about. Right. Because I think we saw his floor last year and I think he'll be better than he was last year. So in in some respects, I, I like I generally like buying Loriano um, and uh, and I would push him. But if it came down to the choice between Loriano and Robles, I think my team factors would make the choice for me. You know what I mean? Do I have yeah, enough steals? Felt like you had enough speed. Yeah, you could I'd go Loreano, Loreano, but if you're chasing it, Robles. And yeah, makes sense. I got them ranked next to each other in the outfield. Uh, as far as a couple guys that I have very little interest in, where they go. This will be the last group we talk about, and then we'll save the rest of the outfielders for part two. I don't know if it's just the Jays thing or what's wrong with me, but Lourdes Curiel and oh. Teoscar Hernandez are both. Like top seventy-five ish overall don't players. Put, don't put my girl in with Teoscar. Teoscar has Teoscar. I think has like a total bus rate written all over him. Totally, totally worried about him. He's almost in the Danny Santana level where the defense is really bad, and any sort of sloughing off of his how hard he hits the ball will will make him almost unplayable. 
on mm-hmm. a team that has tons of players? That's that's my concern with Teoscar Hernandez. You've I don't it. have him as like a. I don't have almost have anybody as like a no draft. Like don't won't won't rank him. Don't won't take him. But he's close just because I would have him a lot lower than other people. I'm just but not Guriel. buying the projections at all. Guriel, I like better. I've got Guriel yeah. ranked with Dominic Smith and and Mike Yastrzemski. I think playing time's fine. I think he's a 260s type hitter, low to mid 20s home runs, pretty good run production. Not really sure about the steals coming through. I mean, I've got him as my 30th ranked outfielder. I, I don't think he's a bad player at all. I just think he's being overpriced coming off of a, a really nice shortened season, right? He hit 308 in the shortened season, hit 11 homers, had the three steals. Everybody's just kind of nudging him a little higher than they probably should. He's 38% better than league average in the shortened season. I think he's more like a 10% better than league average hitter. Am I wrong for setting the expectations and there? And I'm surprised to find he's 27. I, I thought he was younger than that. I think that is uh, contributing to it. You know, he only has three years, so people might think he's, you know, 24, 25 pre-peak, but there is a chance that last year was his peak season. You know, when you look at the projections, you see they all project him to strike out more, and that's partly regression back to his old strikeout rate, but also partly because he's post-peak. Um, yeah. And almost every projection system says he's going to regress, you know, fairly uh, fairly aggressively in the power category. And the bat only gives him 26 homers in a full season. Um, but still, I just I like him as a guy who gives across the board like the, he's not going to he's going to be above average at everything. He's going to give you six or seven steals, I think. And that's going to be above average. He's going to give you 25 plus homers. That's going to be above average. He's going to give you 260, 270 batting average. That's going to be above average. So just everything's going to be above average. Um, and I'd see him as a lot less risky because, you know, his defense isn't great, but I don't think it's uh, to Oscar level. So I think the Blue Jays will play him. Um, and you know, maybe he's only my 30th ranked outfielder, but, um, I, I see him as fairly safe. Um, and he may end up on teams of mine. Yeah. Maybe I see a little bit of a, a young oatmeal sort of player in Lourdes Curiel. Maybe yeah. that's the, the problem for me. Rare to get uh, the young oatmeal. Yeah. Always, always good to have the, the young oatmeal players. You just don't, you don't want to overpay for oatmeal that's that's the whole point if you get oatmeal for two bucks you did well if you're paying five dollars for fancy oatmeal yeah you overpaid for your oatmeal like who gets oatmeal when they go out for breakfast you know i've seen one person do it it's someone (laughs) in the fantasy industry i want you to see i give you one guess who do you think it was it is someone you know it is someone i think you've competed against in a league and it was during one of the annual trips uh, that we go on for drafts. So that maybe narrows it down a little bit. Well, I don't think you would have had uh, dinner with any of the any breakfast with any of the goats, like, uh, you know, like a Ron Chandler type or something. Yeah, I don't think I've, I've had dinner with Chandler. I've never had a breakfast with Chandler. It's kind of like a fun game of guess who. You get to like, oh, like who? You know, you know, you know who does weird things? Uh, <laughs> Jake, Jake Seeley. <laughs> now jake would get a, a bowl of cold cereal he'd get a bowl of count right. chocula at, at a hotel <laughs> that's right oh he loves his cereal that's right i forgot loves about that. cereal loves uh, cereal that's right i would i got that one wrong well this is a chris liss maneuver but here's oh. the thing was it chris liss yeah he doesn't eat like a normal person though he didn't just get uh-huh. oatmeal and say this is my breakfast Liss got i think three 
different breakfast items. You got oatmeal and two breakfast entrees and and a side of berries. It was incredible. It, it was like a $43 hotel breakfast. So ate like a breakfast like, burrito and had like, you know, bacon and eggs and oatmeal. Yeah, it, it was incredible. I, I don't know. I, he maybe works he was out fasting or something. The rest he of the day. He's, he's not a large person. No, he just uh, he marches to the beat of his own drum. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I love Chrysalis. I miss him. <laughs> yeah. One of, one of my many uh, favorite coworkers uh, of the, the time I've spent in fantasy. Just you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to be entertained. You, you know that, That's but you true. don't know how exactly you're going to be entertained <laughs> on any given day. Uh, definitely a fun person to hang out with uh, at Labor and Tout Wars and, and those various events that we have. Uh, if you'd like to drop us a line before we get to part two of our outfield rankings, you can do that. Rates and Barrels at TheAthletic.com on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you want to check out the rankings I was talking about or any of Eno's stuff or the great stuff that Britt's been writing, you can do that at TheAthletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. Just three ninety nine a month as you get started with a subscription. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.